African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning to you. Welcome to African Dialogue. I'm your host, Ayanda Mkwanazi. Remember that you can catch us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. You can also listen to us on the audio bouquet, Channel 802 on DSTV. Now, today is World Population Day, a day celebrated to raise awareness about population issues. According to the United Nations, the current world population of 7.6 billion is expected to reach 8.6 billion in 2030 and 9.8 billion in 2050. World Population Day was established by the Governing Council of the United Nations Development Programme on July 11, 1989. Well, to help us with this topic today, we're joined on the line by Justine Coulson, who's the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund, East and Southern Africa. Alongside her is Jacques van Zadem, who's the Head of the National Population and Development Unit at the Department of Social Development in South Africa. Good morning to you both and thank you for joining us. Good morning, good morning. Diana, and good morning, Justine. Good morning, Jack. <laughs> Justine, maybe we can just start with you for an overall, like a bit of a background. Are we in trouble here? I mean, I'm looking at these numbers, 8.6 billion by 2030. Is the world in trouble? So I think when you look at population numbers, I don't think we should just look at total numbers and decide that's good or bad. It's really about how we make investments in countries related to those populations. You know, what we've always said at UNFPA is it's very important that we look at uh, population in terms of rights and choices. You know, this year we're celebrating 25 years since the International Conference of Population and Development in Cairo, and that was the very first time 25 years ago when heads of state said it's not about setting population targets or controlling populations for development. It's really about ensuring individual rights and choices to decide how many children you have, when you have children, and with whom you have children. And in that way, we will um, achieve sustainable development. So for us, when we look at those uh, population numbers and we look at the projections on those populations, Mm. the questions we're really asking is, are governments going to make the right investment in the future of their populations to ensure that women and their partners have choices to choose the size of family they want and also to access the level of education they need, to access the health services they need, to access the skills development they need, and then to go on to productive lives due to you know, active um, job markets as well. Mm. So what are some of these factors that are driving these population uh, growth, Justine? So if, if we just look at, at the most basic level of contraception mm. access, so family planning where when you can access those services where you, when you have information, when you have the right to choose uh, you know, your bodily autonomy, so to speak. Mm. So we know, that, for example, that while since Cairo, since that important conference 25 years ago, we've made huge progress 
on increasing access to contraception for women all over the world. But, you know, today, even in eastern southern Africa, and that would be a region that's considered to have made good progress on contraception access, we still have 40% of adolescent and girls and women who don't want a child at this point, who are sexually active, and are yet not able to access the family planning method that they want. Um, Jacques, I'd like to bring you into the conversation here. Um, Do you agree with uh, the sentiments Justine is raising? I mean, family planning is a very important issue and one of the key elements that I know the Department of Health in South Africa also drives uh, right here at home. Yeah, Yeah, no, um, what Justine has articulated is uh, 100% what the South African government supports, um, starting right at the top with our constitution, Mm. which entrenches the right to bodily autonomy, as well as then obviously our population policy and the range of legislation that um, has been promulgated over the past 25 years to, um, to, to protect and promote women's right to choose. Um, I think what I'd like to add um, to, to, to the regional perspective um, that, that mm. Justine has given um, within the context of, 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 of our continent is we, we still, and, 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 and I saw today there was an article on utterances by a, a leader of, 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 of one of the countries in our region in which he called for women to have more children. Oh, um, yes. And, um, you know, and, 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 and basically from a relatively small country, he was sort of, you know, encouraging um, women to have as many children, you know, that would populate the country in the way China or India is populated. Mm. Um, because presumably, now that's not new. Um, yes. There are several leaders, you know, not only in the political um, space, but, but in other spaces as well in our continent, who keep on making such utterances. Mm. And um, as Justine has said, and that is what has to be emphasized, is that, you know, it, 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 it's not a matter of, you know, um, anybody should have, or nobody should have the right to dictate um, reproductive choices mm. to women. Um, what we as governments are, are responsible for is to provide the services that will enable women to exercise their rights fully and freely. Um, and the consequence of that in numbers, you know, should not be our business. You know, mm. so she should, we should not set demographic targets. Um, mm. The yeah, so that's one important thing. The other important thing is, um, you know, whilst on the one hand, one you know calls on 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 governments to make services available, and 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 the South African government um, is included in that. Um, we also have to, at a much broader societal scale, with the involvement of um, civil society organisations and the mm-hmm. private sector, we we have to promote the notion that um, that men and women should be equal or born equal, should have equal opportunities, mm. and that it is for no man to decide what happens to a woman's body. Um, so that element of gender equality is, is very important in order to make family planning and reproductive health programs work. Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to, to, to that gender equality you are bringing in here, Jacques. But before that, can I ask you, I mean, in 1980, South Africa had about 30 million people. 
Yes. And now, nearly 40 years later, we almost double uh, that number. I mean, would you say that in comparison that growth rate is normal? Um, well, our, our growth rate has actually been one of the slower growth rates in Africa. Um, so the almost doubling in 40 years is quite, quite a long period. Um, I think, you know, the period you refer to obviously includes two periods in, in, the, in the country's political history, yes. um, the period of apartheid as well as the, the post-apartheid period. So the um, population growth rate in South Africa has declined quite sharply um, over the past 20, 25 years. Um, back in the early 80s, it was over 2%. Now it's less one, than 1.5% per year. Um, in the early 80s, the average number of children per woman were around four. At the moment, it is 2.4. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, obviously as a consequence of the investments that we've made in education and particularly in making sure that girls access education and young women, um, as well as in, in, in providing sexual reproductive health services, have assisted South African women to, you know, to, to, to um, exercise their choices in a more informed way. Um, and ironically, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the choice is usually to have fewer children and not more children. Mm. Um, you know, and whilst that not, that's not an objective, you know, I think it's just, you know, if you enable people and empower people to use their own common sense, they are going to use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and how far would you say the socioeconomics um, play a role here? I mean, we've changed, like you're saying, it was, it was during apartheid, and now we're living in different socioeconomic times. Do you think that has also contributed to the slow or the decline sort of that you're talking about? Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, as Justine has indicated, um, population growth is not simply, you know, a, a response to, to contraceptive use only. It is a consequence of better education, um, labor market access, opportunities for women, um, and, and, and freedom to choose. You know, so, so that has played a big role. I think um, in the information society that our young generation has grown up in, there's obviously a much freer flow of knowledge and information. Mm. Um, we, um, we do have sexuality education content in school curricula, which um, assists you know, young people you know, at, at different ages and stages of their development to understand matters pertaining to their bodies as well as the bodies of the opposite sex mm. um, much better. Mm. Um, now, having said that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that we've, we've, we've achieved, you know, the, 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 the outcome of where we want to be. We know in our country, as in many other countries, there are still many challenges that remain. Mm. Um, we have the very large youth population, which is the consequence of, of you know, of, of um, high birth rates 20 years ago, mm. um, that's entering, um, you know, tertiary education, entering the labor market, and, and that generation, um, you know, finds themselves obviously with a lot of challenges in terms of access, especially to employment. Mm. Um, and, 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 and therefore, you know, as we sort of talk about... Um, about population trends and birth rates and so on. One also has to sort of think about, you know, 
investing in young people in order to ensure that you know the progress that's been made is sustained by making sure that they are equipped um, and 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 they have access to to opportunities that mm. will enable them to play a meaningful role in their own societies, mm. which is the the so-called demographic dividend that is always part of the population message. You know? mm. And and Justine, if I can just go back to the gender inequality um, that uh, Jacques raised earlier. I mean, what's your take on this? Especially because, I mean, Africa, this is a very hot topic. We've got polygamous relationships where women are brought into the family to simply give birth. Um, And, you know, men will keep trying to to have a son or to have daughters, but, you know, they marry for these reasons. I mean, how do you think we can escalate the gender inequality fight? So I think that when you look at statistics, I mean, particularly on any aspect of sexual and reproductive mm. health across the continent, you very often see that adolescent girls and young women, so, you know, 15 to 24, are worse off. So, for example, when we look at new incidents of HIV across the region, particularly in southern Africa, you see that the burden, the majority burden of those new infections are carried by adolescent girls and young women. Mm. You know, when we look at contraceptive access, we can sometimes see that for married women, access is going up. But when Mm. you look at sexually active 15 to 24-year-olds, we actually have no improvement necessarily. Mm. You know, or we see, um, for example, countries with very high levels of child marriage, or we see countries with high levels of female genital mutilation. Um, So it it definitely is an ongoing issue. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that there has been um, various bright spots on the continent where heads of state have really come together and taken leadership on these issues. So, for example, just a few weeks ago, the president of Kenya said came out and said that when we have our celebration of 25 years of the International Conference on Population and Development, which will happen in Nairobi, that he is making a commitment to end FGM and child marriage in his country. You know, in the same way, we have an East Southern African commitment, which brings together heads of states and governments where there is a commitment to really address drivers of teenage pregnancy, of high HIV infection rates, by really investing, as Jacques was saying, in better information and access to to, um, to services. Mm. But we also know as well that there's a real nexus of things happening around the time of 15 to 24. So we know that if you get pregnant and you are forced to drop out of school, then you're very unlikely then to go on to, Mm. you know, what we may consider to be a a good job, or you may never actually enter the formal labor market because you may just get caught up in, in, you know, childcare. We also know For example, that um, if families can see that there are good opportunities for their girls, they are less likely to push them into early marriage. Mm. We also know that um, if we can make uh, school safe spaces for girls, so spaces without the risk of sexual violence, spaces where they can manage their menstrual health with respect, they are more likely to stay in school more likely to drop out from pregnancy and more likely to go on to um, play a useful role in their communities. Mm. So I think a lot of these things all come together. Um, And so for us, you know, this year in the Nairobi Summit is really an opportunity to bring together um, heads of states and partners from all over the world once again after 25 years to say how far have we come and where do we really need to invest more.
Mm. Well, that's the voice of Justine Coulson, who's the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund, East and Southern Africa. She's also joined by Jacques van Zedem, who's the head of the National Population and Development Unit at the Department of Social Development in South Africa. Well, the time now is 11.23. Let's take a quick break. And then I'd like to just talk a little bit about this article that I was reading here, uh, Justine, a little earlier that the UN is projecting that by 2027, India will surpass China as the world's most populous country. Um, And uh, four of the uh, 10 most populous countries in the world will no longer be among the top 10. Uh, All four will be supplanted by rapidly growing nations in Africa. But let's do that after the break. Bringing you Monday Motivation, Life by Design, sets you on a path to discover your purpose. In each and every one of us, there is a purpose engraved. It is up to an individual to realize that purpose. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose, with a hope to inspire you, our listener, to live your life by design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose of Monday Motivation. Every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and repeats at 2 a.m. the following day. Life by Design, be the architect of your life only on Channel Africa, the African perspective. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. Well, you're listening to African Dialogue with myself, Ayandam Kwanazi. A reminder that tomorrow we'll bring you a new African Dialogue um, as of tomorrow, we'll be having five editions of African Dialogue, Monday to Friday from 1100 hours uh, Central African time. I'm on the line with Justine Coulson, who's the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund, um, East and Southern Africa. Also with Jacques Van Zedem, who's the Head of the National Population and Development Unit at the Department of Social Development in South Africa. Today is World Population Day. We're talking issues of population. How can population or countries rather uh, better equip themselves for their growing populations? Now, before the break, um, Justine, I was just reading a little an extract from this article that says that the UN is projecting that by 2027, India will surpass China as the world's most populous country. Um, It also goes on to say that uh, four will be supplanted by rapidly growing nations in Africa. So Brazil, Russia and Mexico are among the world's top 10 countries today, but they're going to be overtaken by the DRC, Ethiopia, Egypt. You know, how do countries really prepare for this? So I think, first of all, I'd like to go back to something that Jacques mentioned before Mm. the break, because as he was saying Political leaders very often look to China, they look to India, and they say those countries uh, drove economic growth on the back of population growth. And that is actually a fallacy, because both China and India have had um, policies and practices in place for decades that set out to actually curb population growth. So we had the one-child policy Mm. in China, we've seen national sterilization programs in, um, in India. So, you know, there was never a policy to grow population in order to drive economic growth. So, um, you know, for China, they are now at a different point in their, in their economic growth. They decided to take away 
um, the one-child policy, recognizing that now they're moving into a different demographic profile um, where they are going to need um, workers for the future. Mm. So I think going back to what we were saying before the break, you know, in Africa at the moment, and you mentioned a number of countries in Africa that are now going to come mm. into what we're calling the top 10 of um, population sizes, the average age in Africa at this point is 18. Mm. In Europe, it's 42. So the key sort of population characteristic at the moment of the continent is this very young population, mm. which many people see as a challenge, but there's also a huge opportunity. So we know from demographics that when these young people move into working age, they will constitute a far larger working age population than dependents, so children and the elderly. Mm. If you have the right investment in that youth bulge, so if they're highly educated with relevant skills for the modern global economy, if governments are able to invest in job creation, industrialization, then what you will actually see and what you will trigger is a huge speed up of economic growth in the continent, mm. so obviously linked to sustainable development for the future. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, mm. then unfortunately what you're going to end up with, and I, I heard you know, in your headlines today the Secretary General talking about the need to um, address extremism in the Sahel, then what you potentially end up with is a large population who are uneducated, unable to work, and unfortunately living in extreme poverty. Because mm. that was going to be my, my follow-up question to you, is this growing youth in, in Africa and the aging population also living longer now? So, so, you know, as I just mentioned, if that youth population can move into adulthood, with education, with skills, and able to find decent work, mm. then the continent will see economic growth. You know, and we're very clear. So, I mean, two years ago, the African Union launched the um, Road to the Demographic Dividend, which, you know, talks about the need to make these investments, being very clear that, you know, there are four pillars of investment, education, health, um, uh, livelihoods, and then also sort of participation and citizenship as well. Mm. And so it's really about governments uh, making that commitment because these aren't surprises. So when you do demographic projections, there is very clearly a number of years that we can pinpoint that offer an opportunity for this type of investment that could then reap that type of demographic dividend. But if you miss that opportunity, mm. then, then you won't see the same level of economic growth. And therefore, you will have young people that move into adulthood, you know, unable to find em uh, employment, you know, and unable to move forward in their lives. Mm. Jacques, what's your take on this? Um, I was actually, just as Justine was talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, we South Africans tend to fixate on our problems and challenges, um, but but if one, one looks at South Africa in the context of Africa, um, I'll just raise three examples of where, where, where what our country is able to afford right now, even in difficult economic times. We are able to afford to keep every a child up to the age of 18 on a child support grant, mm. which improves the quality and life prospects of that child. We are able to provide free school education to any child who um, wishes to attend school up mm. to the age of, you know, up to matric. Um, and we've introduced fee-free tertiary education um, for, for not even the poorest of the poor, mm. you know, just for people who, you know, who, who cannot afford um, it themselves. Now, for me, 
that is the beginning of showing that we 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 are starting to repay dividend mm-hmm. um, because we um, we 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 um, are not burdened with you know having to invest in a rapidly growing population, mm-hmm. which is the consequence of lack of choice. We are able to invest into the quality of our people, and just these three very large government programs. Um, don't exist in the most of the rest of Africa. You know, so so um, now if you go back to, to to particularly China, but India, Brazil, um, and most Latin American countries as well, they've been able to do the same things because of the programs that Justine has referred to. You know, so so the message to you know whether it's political, or private sector, or civil society leadership and and. Um, individuals across the continent should be exactly what Justine is saying is that, you know, look at the investments that governments are able to make, mm. you know, once they start showing proper and responsible leadership in the area of um, sexual and reproductive health and rights and obviously, you know, in, in, in relation to gender equality and women's rights. And I mean, Jacques, do you think that, uh, you know, this is something that can, you know, also be adopted by some of our neighboring countries, for instance, Zimbabwe, Botswana? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident, you know, the moment one starts speaking about rights, mm. you open up um, the, 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 the um, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the society's the opportunity for society to participate therein. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is where the responsibility of leaders at all levels comes in. Um, you know, in, in, in our own country, you know, it, it, it took a few brave individuals um, in the generation of President Mandela and the, the leadership of our liberation movements to start saying, you know, um, gender inequality is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, Women and men are equal and should be treated equal, etc. You know, so 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 um, our leaders step up, step up, and it's amazing how many millions of people were ready to follow them. Um, one obviously has conservative groupings, you know, that would say the opposite. But I think in South Africa, the overwhelming, you know, uh, message from all our political parties, probably except one or two very small ones, has been that, yes, you know, we support these things because it makes sense. We've seen improvements in the quality of life. Um, We've managed to not yet eradicate poverty, Mm. but we have turned the tide on poverty. Um, We know it's going to take time, but as long as the indicators are moving in the right direction, then one knows that you are doing the right thing. Justine, before I go to a break, I'd just like to pose a question to you with regards to infrastructure. Do, I mean, do you think that infrastructure could pose a challenge in the future for, you know, some of these major cities like Lagos, uh, Johannesburg, for instance, th- this growing population? So, I, you know, there was a really interesting statistic that came out of Bill and Melinda Gates' annual letter this year, which basically said that um, they reckon that the world's building stock's going to double by 2060. And that's apparently the equivalent to building a city the size of New York City every month, every year, up to 2060. I mean, it's just mm. it, it's mind-boggling in the scale of that. Mm. Um, 
but you know, again, I think there are there are opportunities to plan for cities. So, you know, projecting how populations are going to grow in cities. So again, it's not a surprise. We can already project, for example, how many health facilities we're going to need, how many health workers we're going to need, mm. how the size of health budgets will need to increase, how many schools, how many teachers, uh, you know, what size of infrastructure or road infrastructure do we need to, to deal with with um, with a number of cars or, or you know public transport that we'll have. So it, for me, it's partly around whether political leaders want to make a commitment to that planning. You know, and obviously, when you are a political leader, your term might be eight, four years, it might be eight years, and so you may not necessarily be thinking through to 2060. Mm. And so I think there's a need to have a real collaboration, both at political and policy level in governments, to really take decisions about the futures of cities mm. in the continent. You know, for example, there is a um, a zero emissions city alliance in the world where a group of cities have come together and said we are going to get to zero carbon emissions by 2050. There's no African city in that group. Mm. And I think it would be great to see this vision and aspiration for green cities fit for purpose for this growing population really coming out of some of these key urban centers that we have in the continent. Mm. Well, that's the voice of Justine Coulson, the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund East and Southern Africa. Let's take our last break and then we'll wrap up our conversation after this. Spotlight Africa, a program that showcases and highlights African countries and issues of the African continent and its people. Coming your way from Channel Africa every Wednesday at 800 hours UCT. With repeat on Wednesday at 2215 hours UCT through DSTV Bouquet 802. Tune in to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. In each and every one of us, there, there is, is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. Well, thank you for joining African Dialogue. A reminder that at 15 minutes before 12, we'll get an econ update, and then 10 minutes before 12, we'll get the sports news. Well, I'm on the line with Justine Coulson, who's the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund for East and Southern Africa. Alongside her is Jacques van Zedem, who's the head of the National Population and Development Unit at the Department of Social Development in South Africa. Now, just to get, you know, some of our closing comments here, um, Justine, what can organizations such as the UNFPA do to assist countries um, to get ready for for what's coming? 
So, you know, I think we're also we're already working with governments um, across the continent, obviously for me, particularly in East and Southern Africa, so both helping them with population data analysis so they can really understand the timeline for the opportunity for investment. We help them with policies, with um, drafting laws that will um, increase access and investment for key health services, for example, for sexual reproductive health. Um, we then also do a lot of work with um, communities themselves because obviously sometimes you need to work a lot around um, changing cultural norms and social norms so that even if the government's able to offer the services and the access that's needed, you also need communities uh, where individuals feel able to come forward for the services and the information they need. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's very much um, an ongoing uh, commitment to support governments in this, in this area. Mm. Um, Jacques, what, what about you? I mean, we've done a lot so far, uh, 25 years post-apartheid, uh, but also there are those challenges that South Africa is still grappling with. I mean, how do we begin to overcome these challenges in this environment that we're already in? Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously, as Justine indicated, it's ongoing work and it's hard work. Mm. Um, and um, as one makes progress, new challenges emerge. Um, for example, in South Africa, we already have started looking at, you know, sort of 30, 40 years into the future when our population will have significantly aged from the way we know it now, then there are new challenges, you know, and then, mm. like, for example, care for older persons comes onto the agenda stronger. The one area that um, work is being done on that needs to be strengthened is um, with reference to, to urbanization that was mentioned by Justine. Um, we, we, not only in South Africa, but um, across the continent, we are struggling to come to grips with the, you know, the, the, the growth of our cities. And a lot mm. of that difficulty revolves around the lack of access to knowledge and information about urbanization and migration to cities. Mm. And secondly, a lack of capacity to interpret and use the knowledge that we do have. Um, so, so one needs a two-pronged approach there, which in the case of South Africa, the government is working on across a range of departments that, 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 that are collaborating. Um, I think the important thing is um, with, with just with reference to the role of the United Nations Population Fund in the continent, um, the, the UNFPA is present in all African countries to support African governments to implement programs that the African governments have agreed to themselves. You know, so like the International Conference on Population and Development is not something that comes from outside. Um, all our governments were there in '94, and they agreed to um, the objectives. You know, that were set at the time. Um, and 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 what we must do is we as governments have to work with the UNFPA, utilize their expertise um, and their global network, as well as. Um, other UN agencies and civil society organizations um, to implement these programs. Not as if they come from outside, but for, you know, as our own programs. Um, because if, if we had a problem with them, we would have said it, you know, yes. at the time. We are supporting them and we have to also own them and not see them as something we do as a favor to others. You know? Justine, I mean, I'm going to give you the last say here. I mean, it's 
2030 is around the corner. What do we do from a local level, from an individual level, between now and then? So I, I think for your listeners who actually live in South Africa, a bit as Jacques said, um, they have rights and they have services available. And, and I, I really want to, you know, ask people to go out and get that information and go out and get those services because mm. they are available and we have, we have countries with far greater challenges. So for me, it's really about how do we support our adolescent girls and young women, you know, particularly in those more vulnerable communities or more vulnerable households, so they feel confident enough and empowered enough to go out and get the information they need, to go out and get the services they need, and to really feel that they have empower- like bodily empowerment and control over the choices that they make. Well, that's the voice of Justine Coulson, who's the Deputy Regional Director at the United Nations Population Fund, East and Southern Africa. She was also joined by Jacques von Zedem, who's the head of the National Population and Development Unit at the Department of Social Development in South Africa. Thank you to you both for giving us your yeah, time and for sharing your insights. Yeah, thank you very much, Ayanda. Thank Thanks, Justine. Thanks.